Hi everyone and welcome back to Coffee Break Science. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Kaila Usai, who is a postdoctoral researcher in infectious diseases. Kaila has a PhD in biomedical research with expertise in experimental models of infectious diseases, namely viral hepatitis and SARS-CoV-2 infection, with a particular focus on the characterization of the immune response. And alongside all of this, Carla is actually a science communicator and is proactively involved in public engagement activities. And we actually worked closely together to put together a conference as part of the Women in Science and Engineering at QMUL Committee at the height of the pandemic, bringing together women from all over the world to celebrate ethnic minority women in STEM, as well as future directions for women in STEM. And I'm really excited to explore Carla's career journey together. I'm your host, Dr. Asim Stola, a postdoc working in the field of neurogastroenterology in London. Carla, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really grateful to have you here. You've been one of my biggest inspirations when I was a PhD student, and you still are. I think you, you're incredible as a person and a scientist. So I'm really excited to share your story on this small platform. So can you please introduce yourself to the listeners without leaving out any of the good stuff? Sure. Hello, and thank you for having me. Uh, so my name is Carla, and I am a researcher and a science communicator. Mm, I'm Italian. Um, more specifically, I am from Sardinia, which is a very beautiful island full of history that you should visit at least once in your life. And I'm very proud of my origin and heritage, uh, even if I spent many times, uh, many years living um, in other places. I left for the first time when I was 18 years old, and I moved to Padua to study biotechnology and uh, after that industrial biotechnology. And I decided to go to Padua because during my last year in high school, I gathered information about uh, the best place to study biotechnology and everything was pointing towards Padua as the best option in Italy. And actually, the University of Padua is one of the most ancient uh, universities uh, in Italy. This year, it is its 800th anniversary. And it is also one of the most, most prestigious universities. So I'm very happy with this choice and it turned out to be a very good choice. After my master's degrees, I decided to go back to Sardinia for a while. But then I followed science and I moved again. And this time I went to Madrid um, because I was awarded a Leonardo da Vinci Fellowship that allowed me to spend six months in the Spanish National Center for Biotechnology. And I always say that that was a life-changing experience because it was there that I realized that I wanted to be a researcher and to do so I had to do a, a PhD. So I started to apply for PhD positions, uh, but unfortunately I had to wait two more years before actually starting my grad school. And I did that in Pamplona, which is another city in the north of Spain. And at the end I spent five years in Pamplona four as a PhD student and uh, one as a postdoc in the same group. And funny enough, Pamplona is also a place where I found out that I like dancing salsa. And I was saying that because dancing really helped me to keep me sane during my PhD. It was my way of switching off from work and uh, releasing stress. And also it allowed me to meet a lot of nice people uh, outside the workplace. So that was great. And another great experience I had during my PhD studies is that I had a grant to go to San Diego, California, 
I attended the, the Scripps Research Institute uh, for four months. And I really enjoyed the time, not only because California I mean, is California <laughs> and the weather is great and it's always sunny. And most of the time I felt like I was living inside a movie, but also because um, in, in Diego the Scripps, I met uh, Professor Francis Kizari which is one of the most important scientists uh, in the world in the field of viral hepatitis. And my PhD project was about viral hepatitis. And it was so nice to see how this great scientist was so keen to take time to talk with me and discuss my um, experiments, my results, even if I was not his PhD student. It was something, just someone spending a few months there. Uh, it was was really nice experience. After, so after my first postdoc in Pamplona, which really I do not consider a postdoc because it was in the same lab and the same project, so it was like a natural consequence of what I was doing before that, I moved to London in 2019, at the end of 2019. At the same time, I started my uh, science communication blog, which is called Virus and Co. Uh, so I started to be active in science communication and also in public engagement uh, with you, actually, because we were both part of the WISE committee, WISE meaning uh, Women in Science and Technology, the group of the Kinemar University of London. And that was a very, very nice experience. And um, so I stayed in London two and a half years. And then uh, at the beginning of 2022, I moved to Barcelona, where I am right now. Wow. You've moved around so much and, you know, traveled yeah. to so many places while doing your science, which is really, really interesting. And, and hopefully we'll discuss more about it soon. But the, the very sort of quick follow up question that came to mind is, are you still doing salsa? No, <laughs> I don't feel ready uh, to go to a very crowded place to, okay. to dance right now. OK, yeah, that's that's fair. But um, yeah, that's really cool to hear that that's kind of how you were letting off steam and stress while you were doing your PhD. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where that takes you in future when you're more comfortable going back into it. But can you tell us a bit more about what your PhD project in Spain actually entailed and what your experience was like doing a PhD abroad, even though, I mean, I guess we can say that Spain and Italy physically are not super far but you're still abroad you're in a in a different country away from family um so and, and a phd for me certainly was a very difficult physically mentally you know intellectually very challenging period so how, what was your experience like and what was your phd project was it on viral hepatitis i'm, I'm just interested to hear a bit more about that that aspect of your journey yes first of all yes i agree with you um the phd is very challenging adventure <laughs> and it is not only a professional journey it's also a personal journey so I have a lot of things to to tell about that starting from the science so my PhD project was about the hepatitis delta virus that's a very interesting uh, virus because first of all it is the smallest virus uh, known to be able to infect humans it causes the most severe form of viral hepatitis so an infection of the liver it causes severe disease of the liver and in the worst uh, cases the only treatment is uh, liver transplantation. And this virus was discovered in 1977, and we still do not know a lot of things about it, how it causes liver damage, um, and most importantly, we do not know how to treat it efficiently. 
And I'm saying that because we have known this virus for 45 years now, and we still do not have a treatment for it. This should make us aware of how incredible the last three years have been in science and how unprecedented is the, the knowledge we have built uh, around a new virus that nobody knew before. Okay, so this is a brief parenthesis, but yeah. Uh, so um, why was hepatitis delta, why is hepatitis delta so difficult to, to study? Uh, one of the main reasons is that the natural hosts for hepatitis delta virus are human beings and primates. So it's not easy to study in a lab. Uh, yes, you can study it in a cells, but it's not the same as having an, a whole organism uh, with all the interaction between the immune system, the liver, and other components. So in the last, let's say, 12 years, uh, more or less, different groups have developed different animal models, especially mouse models, to study hepatitis delta virus infection. And uh, my group in Pamplona did the same, developing a peculiar model because that group, the bulk of the work of that group was actually on gene therapy of uh, liver diseases. So the project started a few years before I, I got there. So they decided to use tools that are usually used for gene therapy that are called adeno-associated viral vectors. These vectors are used to deliver the correct copy of a gene to the liver of patients when they have a genetic disease. And what it did was put the viral genome inside the vector and deliver it to the liver of the mice. They found out that actually the virus was able to replicate in the liver of the mouse and to produce the, the disease. So we took about advantage of the system to understand what happened inside the liver when the virus was there, where, when the virus was replicating. And we were able to unveil some of the mechanisms that trigger innate immunity during this infection. And we were able to identify some of the molecular uh, components that actually detect the presence of the virus inside the hepatocytes. It was a very cool project. It was a great experience. But as I said before, being a patient abroad is quite challenging. At the beginning, it was, I would say alienating because I didn't know anyone in Pamplona and Pamplona is quite a small town so there were not a lot of recreational activities I could do or at least that I was aware of. I am an ambivert so I like uh, spending time with people but I'm not the kind of person that goes out on herself to meet friends. So at the beginning I, I was yeah I was let's say alone this is why I spent long hours in the lab or I spent my uh, weekends uh, working, like analyzing data or reading papers. That's not something I would suggest to anyone in my, in my situation. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Sounds like a really interesting project. And I love that you highlighted that this disease has been known for 45 years and yet we still haven't found treatment for it. And yet, you know, COVID-19 was something that came out what, three years ago and look how how far how quickly we were able to actually find vaccines for it and reduce its spread considerably since when it first felt it first came out so yeah it just goes to show what scientists are actually capable of doing when we have funding and work in a collaborative manner but yeah we are considerably slowed down by the lack of these things but it sounds like a really cool project and so you mentioned that you stayed in the same group in Pamplona for one more year as a postdoc before coming to London to do your slightly longer postdoc job, which is where I met you. 
did that postdoc job in London lead on from your PhD and later postdoc work or was it a completely different thing? And how did your move to London compare to your time in, in, in Spain, in, in Pamplona? Okay, so my postdoc in London was linked to my PhD project. Actually, I was contacted by a scientist that I had known during uh, while attending congresses about hepatitis B and hepatitis delta viruses. And this person just sent an email to me telling me what my, my, my plans were because they were looking for a postdoc and they thought I was a good fit for their group. So this is how I, I went, uh, went to London. And that was great because it was a boost to my self-confidence <laughs> because I didn't have to apply. It was just they came to me because they thought I was good enough to work with them. And on the other side, makes things easier because I already knew them when I went to London. So it was not, was not like starting from scratch, everything. So it, it was easier, let's say. The project was supposed to be about hepatitis delta virus and particularly about how the immune system of patients with hepatitis virus is defective. And so to find out why the immune system is not working as it should and find out a solution for that. But unfortunately, we could not work on that because after six months, the pandemic hit. So we had to change our plans and we ended uh, working on uh, COVID-19. We were involved in a project to validate rapid antibody tests. And also we had uh, side project, more experimental projects about the immune response after SARS-CoV-2 infection. Uh, remember, we were in the first wave, so little was known about how long the antibody response was was lasting and if reinfection was a possibility. And now we know that, yes, it is possible to be reinfected by SARS-CoV-2. And so we completely changed our focus. Thank you for that. It's It must be a really nice feeling to be approached by a PI to ask you to work for them as a postdoc rather than, you know, you approaching them and applying for a job because postdocs are very competitive and it's amazing and it goes to show how brilliant you are that they someone you know a leader in the field came and approached you and wanted you to move yourself to a whole new country to work for them and I know it didn't quite go to plan and you ended up doing SARS-CoV-2 research but still it ended up resulting in very useful data and and I know that you're currently in Barcelona working on on SARS-CoV-2, but I was wondering whether you could talk to us about how you've been able to navigate moving across so many countries every every few years, and because this is something that I've always admired about you. And, you know, when I kind of put myself in your shoes, currently looking to move in the same country, just like one hour on the outskirts of London and how much you have to think about how much admin jobs there is to do how much you know you have to pack everything unpack everything go through all the paperwork and throughout all of this you also have to think about your new job you have to you know brush up on some literature because you you might not necessarily be working on exactly the same thing even if it's in a similar field the projects always have a slightly different question that they're trying to answer so you've been I mean from the outside obviously I don't know how it is being you and and doing all of this but from the outside you've so gracefully navigated all of this and while also navigating a challenging academic career I mean I don't look down on any profession I think all professions come with their difficulties but an academic postdoctoral job it's not it's kind of lots of jobs in one where not only having to do the research but you also have to think about teaching students often 
you have to write papers as well as do experiments, as well as attend conferences, prepare presentations. These are all things that often eat into our, it's not a nine to five job really, basically most of the time, as much as we can try to make it one. So can you tell us a little bit about what this process has been like and how you maintain a motivated mindset long-term? Because obviously you finished your PhD a few years ago and you're currently doing your third postdoc job. So clearly you enjoy being a postdoc somewhat. So how do you maintain that motivation long-term and what is the moving process like for you? Well, let's say that being a PhD student is not only a training on science, it's also a good training on adulting (laughs) because you have to manage a lot of things, uh, as you said before, as the paperwork, the bureaucracy, especially if you move in countries the logistic um, and and everything around that. And also you have some teaching duties and you learn how to network and how to present yourself and interact with other scientists. Um, It's a bit going out of your comfort zone, right? So uh, you learned a lot of skills and those skills help you when you are a postdoc. About how I live these situations, uh, moving countries, I think that if you are motivated enough and if you are, are if you have a goal and in my, my case my goal was being a researcher and and do science at quite a high level then you are you are keen to put something else on the back burner for a while so you don't you not feel like you are giving up on something else you're just giving priority to to your work look recently i was thinking about my experience in london and it was not as I expected, because I spent something less than two years and a half there, and two years were during the pandemic. So I think that I had the hardest time of my life while I was in London. But I still have very fond memories of my time there. So why is it? It's because the people I was surrounded by when I was there. And I think that at the end, living abroad and moving countries is not just about the places you got to to see and visit and live in is about the people you meet and how and what you can learn from them and and the network the friendships you build and I mean in London I was alone in in a foreign country with no possibility to go home during the pandemic but still I had people there in London. Some of them I already knew before I moved there. There were people that I met either in, in, in Italy or when I was in Madrid then had moved in, uh, to London before. Others are people I met there and most of them were expats. So they were living something very similar, even if everyone had their own circumstances. Someone was living there with a partner, others um, had already their network there. So felt a bit more comfortable than I was feeling. I had very nice people in my group. We we uh, set up a WhatsApp uh, group to uh, keep being contact and know if everyone was doing well in any time. I had my supervisor constantly checking on me because he knew I was living alone, so I wanted to make sure that I was okay. And I have a device committee that was very an amazing group, you know that because you were part of it. And at the time we were organizing the International uh, WISE Conference and having something to work on, uh, not only my research work, was very helpful because it kept me busy and I wasn't left with much time to feel miserable (laughs) and and so on. 
so I think the the real the short answer to your question is surround yourself with people that share your values that add something positive to your life and you will be able to to live abroad and to feel happy and to have a positive experience whether no matter how the <laughs> how many pandemics you have to face during your journey Oh, thank you for sharing that, Carla. I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for you to be stuck in London because... Literally stuck in yeah, London. Yeah, exactly. It, it must have been really horrible. But I'm so happy to hear that, you know, there were things outside of work, but kind of related to science that meant that you had other things to look forward to and other things to keep busy with. I also really appreciated that we, you know, collaboratively as a team worked to make the International Women's Day conference happen because that was one of my highlights I think that was one of my PhD highlights like one of the proudest things to come out of my PhD like during my time in the blizzard so it was it was a really such inspiring speakers and just nice that we you know we did that together virtually everyone yes. was in their own space and we we put it mm-hmm. together and it worked really well so you mentioned that the pandemic was one of like the most difficult days in your life so far. Was that the biggest challenge that you've had in your career journey so far? And how did you, obviously you mentioned that you navigated it through surrounding yourself with like-minded people, but would you say that that's been the biggest challenge for you so far? Well, I would say yes, the pandemic was the biggest challenge, but I mean, the secret is try to keep your professional goals and your personal goals aligned and if you realize that there's something off then you have to take a decision and make a change if it is necessary for your well-being absolutely i think your science communication work your your blog in particular is a really nice example of that i know that especially during the pandemic when when covid was first coming out and the non-scientific community weren't maybe understanding the literature as much as we did I think you really nicely explained like what vaccines are what the virus actually is and how it behaves and I know you write it I think you write it in multiple languages in Italian as well is that right yes so my blog is in Italian and in English because I think that uh, yes it's true I want to reach as much audience as possible but I think that if you want to go global you have to start local and also I think of people, uh, for example, my parents that do not speak English, do not understand English. And I would, I would like people like them to, to, to be able to read my blog. And so this is why I write in Italian. And the other reason is that Italian is not my working language. So I write my posts first in Italian because that uh, allow me not to use jargon. If I would write it in English first, it would be just full of jargon and specific technical words. So that's my strategy, writing Italian first and then translating into English. Okay, that's really cool. Uh, I, I admire that. I, I'm also bilingual, but I really struggle to write things, in, especially if, it, if I want it to be professional in the sense that a manuscript is you know, very scientific and very formal. But yeah, I really struggled to write things in Turkish. So yeah, I admire that you do, that you can do both and, you know, convey the same message and communicate the same message because it's really hard. Like you say, when it's not your working language, you start to forget what how things are termed and, you know, what the proper terms are to use and stuff. So that's really, really cool. Um, yeah, I'm forced to use simple words because sometimes I don't know the exact word in Italian, the technical word in Italian. 
yeah okay well I hope I hope that you can keep going with it because it's really you technically don't obviously I'm sure you get lovely feedback from it but you know you're doing it in your own time just for the sake of communicating your like science with with a lay audience so it's really yeah I I love that that you're still going with it I think it's really cool so what do you think is next for you in terms of where you're thinking of taking your career? I know that you're currently in a job and you're happy with it, I think. But what kind of strategies are you using to kind of think about your next steps? Do you think is your long term goal basically to become a PI of a lab? What kind of strategies and tools are you using to try and make your decision or plan your the future of your career, basically, if you're happy to share? <laughs> Well, I think that I found uh, I found a place when I can thrive because I feel supported, I feel valued, I enjoy the science I'm doing here. So my, my plan is to stay here and, and enjoy what I'm doing. And also, I've been recently offered to officially co-supervise a PhD student in 2023. Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm very excited about that. I mean, it's challenging, but I like challenges. It's like, okay, I've come so far. Let's let's see whether I'm able to, to go to the next level. And also, it's my chance to to practice what I preach because I talk a lot about work work life balance and how important it is for PhD students to to keep this kind of balance. So I feel. The responsibility towards this person and I really hope to be able to help this person to have positive experience and as balanced as possible so this is my next challenge that's amazing oh my god to supervise a PhD student means you're like up there in terms of like expertise and like experience and stuff so that's so cool congratulations I'm sure that thank you that person is going to learn so much from you and I know that you'll be like a really caring and sincere um, PhD supervisor and it's so important to have someone who genuinely cares about a the progression of your your project and your PhD but be like on for you on a personal level and who can advise you genuinely from their own experience so yeah good luck with it I'm sure you're going to be amazing I'm really excited for you thank Um, you yeah so um that was that was amazing and I don't want to take up too much more of your time but is there anything any projects or any science communication work that you're currently doing or anything else like any papers or anything that you've published recently that you would like to share with the listeners before we end uh, well, as I mentioned before, I have a blog uh, that's called Virus and Co. So I write about viruses, of course, infectious diseases, mm, immunology vaccines, mm, and everything around uh, infectious diseases. So please, if you have any curiosity about these topics, anything you would like to understand, or mm, you've heard the news and you want someone to explain it in, in easier words, please just contact me. I will be happy to, to write something for you. Amazing. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to link Virus & Co in the show notes and hopefully people can find it on there. Thank you so much again for sharing your time and your wisdom and your story with us. It really means a lot. Thank you. It was my pleasure.